is a Momentum Media production. Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast. Whether you are considering buying your first investment property or reaching property mogul status, we dissect the fundamentals through to large-scale property development and everything in between. Oh, good day, everyone. How are you going? Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. Lots of P's there. My name's Phil Tarrant. I'm co-host of the podcast. Brand new series for smart property investment across the Property Investment Podcast Network. This channel has been building up over many years and uh, it's my great pleasure to announce the launch of a new show on the Property Investment Podcast Network, the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. I do like a piece, what my first name starts with, and uh, obviously the uh, the host, the co-host, the brains trust, the talent of this particular podcast is Paul Glossop. Paul Glossop, how are you going? I'm extremely excited, Phil. It's been a very long time coming. I reckon, uh, mate, we've been musing across podcasts since podcasts pretty much became a thing. And uh, it's probably been, I reckon, comfortably six, seven, maybe eight years in the making, and uh, we're finally here. And uh, so, your very own podcast, very own podcast. Do, I'm excited. Do you think, are you important enough to have your own podcast? Well, I didn't think I was for mm. that six, seven, or eight years. Evidently, okay. but uh, here we are. All right. So you got your own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's good. I, I do remember. Um, oh, it's got to be six years ago. Yep. And uh, but by way of, I guess, a backstory. I remember when you said, I'm going to start my own podcast. I went, oh, okay, sure. That sounds like a great idea, Paul. I'm like seeing that the Smart Property Investment Show has been going for a long time and it's very successful. <laughs> and, uh, and I went, yeah, yeah, sure. And he went, look, I'm looking for some talent. And I went, okay. And uh, then you told me that you couldn't find anyone, but you asked if I was happy to appear on your <laughs> podcast. And I remember sitting in a, um, like a, like a granny flat somewhere. I can't remember where it was. Uh, I remember the roof was had a raked ceiling mm. and it was a podcast uh, when you were trying to kick off your own podcast. I think you did two episodes of it. You never launched it, right? Yeah, it kind of got too hard basket. It was, a little, bit, hard it was to... a little bit pre um, sort of Fiverr and the like where you could mm. basically record quickly, get it, uh, get the audio sliced and diced. It was one of those things where I kind of looked at it. It was very daunting to think, mm. how would I slice, dice and then promote this? Probably in retrospect should have done it anyway. I think the juice is worth the squeeze. But I think more to your point is that you certainly weren't the first person I went to. No. <laughs> and now you come knocking on the <laughs> door saying, oh, full circle. Cap out. <laughs> can, can I be part of the Property Investment Podcast Network? The, the biggest in Australia. Listened to around the world as well, I'm the told. Irony. It, it the irony. Is the irony of it all. And I went, um, sure. But yeah. it's got to be different, I yeah. said. I said, it's got to be different. So you've been really imaginative with the name of it, the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. The name of your business well, is what, Well, I want to make Sorry. sure that people <laughs> actually knew what the podcast was about. Yeah. I didn't want to make it abstract and yeah, something a little bit flighty. I thought, well, at least, at least the title will people know what they're actually dialing in for. So it's purely about property. It would, that's, well, there'll be a bit of BS in between you and I, no doubt, which yeah. is unfortunately you come to unavoidable. Right spot for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I knew yeah. what I was in for there. But <laughs> look, I think we've probably been collectively uh, sitting across this desk for long enough to know that we've got some pretty interesting things to tell. But mm. I think to your point, it's got to be different because we do talk We do talk a lot about Mate, property. There's a lot of podcasts out there around property. Yep. You know, and I tune in a lot. There's some good ones around there Absolutely. as well. You know, I think of... You know, and it's essentially been around for maybe slightly longer than the Smart Property Investment Show is um, 
uh, the property couch. You know, they, really, really correct. good, really good. I've and, actually been on that with him. Uh, you have with, been with Ben yeah, and Bryce before. Yeah, yep. yeah, good, good operators. Those guys. Absolutely. And so, so there is some very good podcasts around there. So the thing is, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it properly. Let's do something differently. But I want to be the first to give you a hard time about that. I don't know what you call that avatar. The avatar on the screen you I can, can see right you now. Can talk to your t- <laughs> you talk to your team about that. I said, well, instead of just using an image of me, let's turn it into uh, some sort of cartoon. And, and that was the best option, would you it, believe? It actually looks like you're wearing an expensive suit for once. Uh, well, I don't know if it's expensive. It was a suit jacket. <laughs> it, does. It's, it looks it's, like they've used it up with a bit of... Uh, businesses at the top, from, party from, at the bottom. They've gone from Lowe's to Armani with a couple of clicks of the, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, what do you call, InDesign files. But uh, for those of you who are tuning, on, uh, tuning in on on uh, video, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about here. So um, it's my privilege to be able to be the first to give you a hard time about that. <laughs> Mate, they got your eye colour wrong. You don't have the aqua? Aqua? Aqua. I don't know. I don't know. I've got to wake up in the middle of the night sort of shaking. <laughs> look, look at this. So is that what different is? That's how it's going to be different. Uh, no, you went, no, 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 no. Let's not use a real but, photo. But I Let's think use that's hopefully a, a little indication as to say, hey, it's going to be a little bit different. You've got to push it out. You've got to be edgy. 100%. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, look, we're, we're typically pretty edgy, you and I, on this, and I think you know, people will know that when we do get behind the microphone, we're not yeah. going to be talking about theories and relativity and all the other things which are very abstract. We're well, going to we can't do that because we're not particularly smart people. No, correct. Yeah. So that's why I do like to talk fact because I can't make it up. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and this is it. So uh, so it's got to be different. How is it going to be different? So a lot of people, if you've been tuning in or if you've been familiar with or liking or following the Property Investment Podcast Network for a while, uh, you would have seen Paul appear semi-frequently. Uh, we get on, have a yarn about property, what's going on. And then your stuff rates pretty well. People like Pretty to, well. Pretty well. Rates pretty well, not the best, <laughs> which I know would, would, would worry, but probably therein, therein sort of gives our opportunity to show how this will be different. And we've sort of been thinking in the background, okay, how, how do we do it? You know what? Yeah, just another property podcast talking about property and the fundamentals. Everyone talks yeah. about the fundamentals. You know, I'm, I'm a big, um, it's got to be enjoyable. It's got to be a bit of infotainment. You know, it's got to be factual, number one. Number two, it's got to be useful. Uh, number three, it needs to be actionable. And number four, it should be really repeatable. And, and in many ways, that's how a really good portfolio is constructed. But I thought the best way to do it, and, and maybe in my youth, and uh, I know in your youth, we were reasonable sports people. How do we get some sense for structure with this? And, and we've spoken about it before on this on um, the Smart Property Investment Show where we sort of start using sometimes, you know, some sports analogy. And mm-hmm. that's not like, you know, rah-rah type stuff. It's about the the mechanical structure of being a good sports person often plays into the mechanical structure of doing anything effectively, you know, training, discipline, all these type of things. And and your your book, which I think is about to get its second iteration, A Surfer's Guide to Property Investment, which is uh, probably investing, uh, which has been around for, God, that's going to be out. 2019. For, is that how long that's been? Yeah. Yeah, four I, I, years remember, now. I remember going out. I remember going out and celebrating the launch of that. I've got a photo on my phone. Do you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> out the back of. Um, I have to get you to share that. Where were we? It was we're me, the, uh, you, a guy called Jeff, another guy yep. called Uve, and they ah, might tune true. into this. I think it was in Balmain. Yeah, no, no, it was in um, it was in the rocks. Ah, and yeah, they, yeah, they got, yeah. They got yep. this great story of a uh, yep. great, great picture of a sunset. I remember uh, out the uh, the side of the Captain Cook Hotel, where it was sort of a I few years in, and then, and then I think that I think we went to the. Uh, that German um, Bavarian beer did. cafe and ate a massive like pork knuckle and all pork the rest knuckle of it. and a big thing of schnitzel yep. and stuff. But um, 
so that's your book. So the next installment is coming out. There's, I want to get the book out of the way. I'm st- yep, yeah, yeah. Know. So the next installment is coming out. It's yep. probably be early, very early 2024. Okay. I assume it'll hit the uh, hit the dimmicks of the world and yep. um, yeah, essentially do ebooks and all the rest of it. But I think um, yeah. So so what we're going to be doing is taking what we've learned over the last five years since I first wrote that book and and putting the advancement of hey, look, we can talk about property now with also a pandemic thrown in there yeah. and walk through some lessons, learnings. And um, not only that, but you know, I've personally as an investor and, and I'm certainly an active investor, which we'll discuss, mm. you know, I've evolved what I do and how I do it. And we've certainly worked with thousands of clients in pure property investment to talk about how they've evolved as investors as well. And that's yeah. a big part of what we're going to be do, discussing. Do, do you look at that now and you ever go, oh, just, you know, oh, that's a bit cringy what I wrote there or- A little bit, you know, a little bit. But How much know, has changed, do you think? The, the factual parts of it, because you know, a lot of that's sort of a, a walk through history lane. So the book itself, and people can still get a copy of this on pure property investment if they wanted to get their own copy. I ordered. thought it was sold out and uh, it's back orders. Well, and, we can always I'm, get I'm, more. I'm, they I'll can print you, really. more. That's the beauty about books <laughs> is they can print more. Mm. We've got the manifest, the original. Um, But some of it, it's interesting though, because I read over what my position looked like and I did divulge a bit about where I was, where I got to. And at the point of time, it was sort of the end of 2018, start of 2019, which is obviously a line in the sand and Mm. I can't discuss more in the book because it was printed. Then I look at where I was and also look at some valuations of things that I've talked about, one in which was my my home that I grew up in, which is actually since sold as of only 12 months ago. This is the irony of it. I remember I looked through that and there's a whole chapter about where I grew up, what my mum and dad paid for that property of thirty odd thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. At the time of two thousand eighteen when I put the data in, that house is worth about eight hundred and fifty thousand Western suburbs of Sydney, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars that property was worth at that time. My mum sold that house last year and essentially has moved into a smaller property to suit for one point one million dollars. This is sort of more goes back to saying, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of really interesting things, even just looking at the data from only four, five years ago yeah, and how it evolves and how it extends over time. Well, and this is the point, I think some people may know your your backstory, but I, I thought it'd be a good chance for maybe people who are new to this this platform, um, the Property Investment Podcast Network, who might not know about you and haven't yet read the book to maybe have a look at that. Because if we're going to go about talking about property, talking about the theory and practice of property and, and how to do it effectively. Um, it's good to know who's actually on the other side there talking about it. And, and you know, there's a lot of buyers agents out there. I'd, I'd say you've been at it longer than most. Uh, there's some who have been at it a lot longer than you have, mm-hmm. but you are an active property investor. You know, yeah. I, I'd, I'd probably argue probably a property investor first and a buyer's agent second. Or, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've probably become more that way in the last five years, yeah. personally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm uh, happy to share. I mean, I guess for those who are just listening in the first time and maybe have not necessarily got too much of my own backstory, I guess, personally, my position started from a, a property standpoint a very long time ago. And I actually do write a bit about this in my first book here, is that my first love in the property space was not necessarily investing. I definitely enjoyed the concept of design and the concept of property development. Um, I spent a couple of years post high school trying to go down that pathway. And there's actually a, a, a you speak about certain parts of what I read through. There's a, a certain part in the first chapter here, which is called a U-turn at a pub um, right here. It's where most U-turns happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't actually involving many more beers than one and a half, ironically, but it was um, it was after my full two semesters body of work, which back in the day was on a, a laptop. And I guess I was, I was studying uh, architectural drafting at the time and you designed part of the year two, you design a, uh, everyone designs the same 
same four-story office building and essentially have to go through learning the software, learning all your Australian standards and on design, thickness of slabs, a whole raft of different things. You design it, you put it on your computer, and then you actually take the USB, put it in, take that out, and then give it to your, your professor, and then ideally they mark it. Now, I had my computer, hadn't done the USB transfer at the time. This was 20 years ago, mind you, probably 20, yeah, about 20 years ago. <laughs> so yeah, cloud technology wasn't a thing. I was at um, the Broadway Hotel, just opposite UTS. A couple of different my it's um, getting renovated that yeah Broadway. Yeah. There's all that area is very yeah, fancy yeah, these crazy. days. Yeah. And anyway, laptop bag below our feet, just sitting around the table, was going to be a beer to, to celebrate us finishing that large piece of work, which is basically what we did for six months. And I went off to the toilet, came back, looked down, laptop bag didn't exist anymore. I thought a couple of my buddies may be playing tricks on me, but after a couple of uh, don't joke around anymore conversations, I realized that someone had come and nicked my bag, went through the CCTV and realized that someone picked it up, ran straight out the door, never saw that again. That kind of led to me then having a conversation with my professor and they said, unfortunately, we've got nothing to mark, so therefore we can't provide you with marks. So my option was to go and have to resit and redesign and redo everything for six months and I took that as an opportunity to pivot in my life, which led to basically me going surfing for six months at the time, um, not doing a heck of a lot, having a part-time job, saving a bit of money. And then I redeployed my time into education and became a, a teacher for a very short period of time. And one thing that probably happened during that time is that I realized that my interest in property evolved a lot into different things, which was how to make money in property, how to use property as an investment vehicle and a range of different things. So long story short, there was a, an interest early, which pivoted to something else, which ended up being a very early career, which since changed. But that really is what, I guess, the part of property really started my interest in property itself, property development, property investing. And then from that point, you know, very mid-20s-ish is when I really put my foot in the door and and bought literally the first property, which went on to be one of, of hundreds or one of thousands for for clients and one of quite a number of, of different assets, investments, buy and holds, et cetera, for myself and my wife. So I hope you now have a mantra in life of always have a backup. Yes. That's probably a tough lesson. <laughs> very tough lesson. It wasn't an easy one. I was, it sounds very flippant at the time, but as anyone who sits there and probably has been through not necessarily something similar as in getting your laptop stolen, but knows what goes into Sounds fishy. It sounds, sounds like, uh, it sounds like you're taking a creative license there. You yeah. know? <laughs> sounds, it sounds fishy. What, describe the person that nicked the, the laptop. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you no. off the top of my head. You could go ask the Broadway Hotel about it. They probably have <laughs> something saved back in the day. I did lodge a police file, so there is, but there would be a record on files somewhere, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, might but, get my, but I might get my people to look this up. Put it this way, I didn't ask for credits. I didn't get a pass. But, but no, or, doubt, or, no doubt the professor, whoever it was, knew you'd been working on it oh, and had seen versions of it. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. But I guess what I'm getting at here is that I think I realised that architecture itself- was for you. It probably, it was probably an opportunity for me to explore uh, and, and this is, this is what the But I was actually really good before. at it, which yeah. is the irony. I just didn't like the theory part of it because there was a lot of history involved and a mm. lot of other things, which- just wasn't my, yeah, I've, wasn't my I've nicked this, uh, this saying off uh, one of the great men of real estate, Tom Panos. Yep. Some of the best gifts come badly wrapped. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly I've what you're talking Tom about there. say that a number yeah, of times. Yeah, he loves it. But that, there you go. Some yeah. of the best gifts come badly wrapped. You Absolutely. Could be, mate, you could be working in an architectural firm right now. 80 hours a week. And it's that's designing other And I work with houses. a lot of architects right now, ironically, and most of them don't, don't do love it. what they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough gig. People like the idea of it. It's quite creative, but, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's also quite restrictive at the same time. It is yeah. very restrictive. Yeah. It is re so um, always have a backup. Yeah. 
That's Correct. Right. I, I've always got I've always got about ten backups. Yeah, you know me pretty well. <laughs> but uh, to the point around how do we make this podcast different? So I want to get give you all a bit of a sense to Paul's background and and how now on this show we can look to uh, extract some of that information to help you make uh, better buying decisions as you are and if you are and as you continue to invest in property. But I sort of spoke about this idea of a bit of a a sporting you know, structure to this and, and a lot of people, oh, yawn, yeah, sport. That's pretty much how I see the world as well. But I get it. You know, I, I, I get the discipline and I get the the structure. I get the the attitude, the aptitude, the mindsets, everything that makes great sports people. And Australia's just gone berserk over the Matildas here in Australia and it gives you, again, some sense of how much Australians do like sport. It's sport just isn't turning up on the day and playing a good game of cricket or footy or netball or soccer or, or whatever it is, there is everything that's wrapped up in and around it, and particularly for professional sports people. So we thought the best way for us to try and give some sense to architecture of this podcast, because mm. I know Paul does like a bit of architecture, some structure to it, is to approach most things with a, a notion of um, the pre-game work, the game and the post-game. And I remember having a chat with Paul when we are sort of, you know, iterating this, the ideas of this podcast. And, and my point was the post game is probably one of the most important parts of mm-hmm. any type of endeavor. Yep. A sports or business or personal relationships or you know, anything, you know, your ability to debrief after something is really going to set you up well to go into anything new moving forward. So the way we're going to structure this podcast, and you'll see it develop over the coming 12 months, we'll be sort of getting together once a month for 12 months on this special series, is that we'll talk about particular theories or ideas or strategies um, in principle discussions around how stuff works. But then importantly, we're actually going to speak to real people and Paul will host those conversations, speak to real people who are doing it. And then what myself and Paul would be doing is using our skills and capabilities to to look at the, the, the wash up, the wrap up, you know, looking at what happened, how things can be done better, what would have been a more effective uh, way to approach things, what was good, what was bad, what was indifferent. Uh, and again, that's very much of a sort of sporting mindset of, you know, everyone watches the shows on TV about people talking about what happened in a game of sport. Yep. And, and in many ways, uh, I know teams do it. I know you still do it, the, the sport that you play where you get around and talk about what, what, what just happened. You know, yeah. how do we get better? Yeah, and and very much that lends itself to property, and and I know you talk very similarly in the uh, in the book. The new book is coming out in uh, probably January, probably 2024. January. So you, have you written it or is it uh, We're now? probably halfway through. Yep. Yeah. Are you enjoying it, the process? Uh, it's it's slow. Yeah. It's, but it's it's probably easier to do because I've got a basis for the first time around. First so you're time just around reworking was eighteen it? months. So it's it's partly rework, partly yeah. new work. Yeah, but yeah. a lot. It's going to be completely new. Put it that way. Okay, so. You got your own podcast now. Yep. Sounds like it's going to be pretty interesting. I reckon so. You've chosen really probably the best person in Australia to be able to host it with you. That's probably the smartest right. thing you've done. So you're about to enter the room. About to enter the room. Is, yeah. Is that I'm just some... warming up the mic? <laughs> John Laws. <laughs> I'm just the. Uh, what's 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 that? what's yeah? I'm not going to go there. Um, so we can get stuck into it. So I'm going to have to. Are you going to are you going to update the backstory bit on your your book? I, I might have one? to. Yeah. Yeah, but I might have Things to get someone else to write that. You might need well. to. Yeah. yeah, but um, where was your first property, Paul? Uh, so, yeah, if I look at. The starting point, this is dusting off the memory banks a little mm. bit here. Um, first property, first purchase was a two-bedroom unit, red brick, block of 18, three blocks from the beach 
in Cronulla, so southern Sydney. So your first property? That was my first purchase. Wow. Yeah. So that was um, bought as an owner rock at the time. Never intended for it to be a long-term owner rock, but essentially scraped together deposit using first home buyer's grant that was available for established property at the time. I think we had less than 10 grand as a deposit. No, let me let me correct that. This is why it's getting a bit dusty, less than 20 grand as a mm. deposit, but it was 5% deposit or a bit less than 5% deposit, no lender's mortgage insurance, no stamp duty, I think was the incentive and maybe seven grand first home buyer's Heavy grant. Heavy incentives. Oh, well, yeah, you look at that right now. I mean, the stamp duty alone is, um, you know, what's that? I think purchase price was $382,000. And for, you can see here, that's live. That's using yeah. a, lot of, a lot of my brain power to remember that one. Mm. But yeah, we had uh, essentially, a, a call it the same, we had about a $360,000 debt on that property. Mm. Interest rates at the time were about what they are right now, which is crazy, about 5 to 6%, maybe a bit above. I think it might've been seven, seven-ish percent. And people go crazy about it and say, oh, it's so high, it's, it. it's normal. The so difference is- it. I have seen it just, before. They're just much bigger, the numbers of what stuff costs these yeah. days, right? Or, or, or alternatively, it's just relative, right? Like yeah. people just haven't seen those numbers, so they think, oh, how do, how do we afford this? It's mm. bedlam. But they've been there before. They'll be there again. Yeah. Do you still own that property? It's a property that I don't own now. Yeah. And and it's for a reason that that property was harvested from an equity standpoint two times yep. to push me into other assets. And it only was sold when I actually moved out of that property probably about 18, 24 months after buying it, renovating it, getting it revalued, extracting equity. And that was used to buy other assets. But beyond that, there was the ability to either hold it turn into an investment, which look, it's certainly worth more now than what it was when I sold it. But we used that because we basically tapped out from a serviceability to buy our next principal place of residence, which was a three bedroom apartment about three blocks further away, which I still own that property to this day. Okay. Yeah. So you milked of heaps of equity and you sold it, replaced the principal place residence, but you were able to use that as a juncture to buy it will start buying Correct. investment properties. Yeah. So, so where was your sort of first investment? I think the property? first investment was a house in Campbelltown from memory. So Campbelltown, Western Sydney, for anyone who is familiar with that area, they'll know exactly what it was. This was probably 15 years ago now. Yeah, about, about yeah, a bit less than 15 years ago, maybe 13, 14 years ago, that property was bought. But at that time, I think we paid $252,000 for that house. Yeah, 13, 14 years ago, corner block, 580 odd square meter property. I still own that property to this day. Um, three bed, clad house, um, built a granny flat on that property about two years after, mm. knowing that we had no intention of selling that property. Um, probably spent about $90,000 in total, giving it an uplift and a granny flat. That property today is worth about $850,000 and has no debt on it and has an income of about $900 a week on that particular property. And again, that property propelled us to other properties. And mm. I think the separate property we bought with that equity from the original Cronulla asset, again, about 13 maybe odd years ago was a, I believe it was a two bedroom villa in Mount Druitt at the time, paid $182,000 for that property, yeah. put about 10 grand into it. Also sent one of my buddies into the uh, emergency room with some mystery infection from helping me out with the renovation, which I'm pretty sure there's uh, unfortunately a bit of a bit of uh, par for the course when you're going down the pathway of doing your own DIY stuff. Mm. Um, and I still owe him a beer for for the help that he put in there. That property I don't own anymore, but again, that property at its peak was worth about four hundred thousand dollars. I think I sold it just a bit below that year uh, last year. 
last year. And again, it was a property that served a big purpose in my portfolio, but just as a property that I didn't need anymore. So taking the cash off the table to use that for other things, because it essentially would would have been an impediment from a serviceability standpoint. So that were two properties that that first property allowed me to do within about an 18 month timeframe. Yeah. And and I know sort of, you know, as you've accelerated down your property pathway, you've you've gone into doing a lot of developments and, and a big part of this podcast will be, you know, we it says it in the introduction there, it's really dissecting the fundamentals of properties, but all the way from, you know, buying sort of mum and dad, inverted commas, properties that you're talking about now through to, you know, extrapolating out into development and being a lot more proactive in, in your wealth creation through property. So tell me what happened after that Mount Druitt property. So and I know you probably, I mean, we've talked about this over the mm. years and you probably forget a lot of these things to be honest with you, but I know like one thing I've always done is stayed active and I've never sort of, I've bought and say, you know what, for the next 10 years, I'm just going to let it do its thing. Mm. I, I'm still doing this to this day and never let anything just do its thing. I'm constantly tinkering, constantly looking. And I, I believe that back in, what have been 2011, 2012, the Campbelltown property, Mount Druitt property, freshened both up, revowed equity out, I believe I bought a, a duplex both sides down South Shell Harbour region. Um, I think at the time I might have paid three hundred and seventy odd thousand dollars for a pair of duplexes down mm-hmm. there. I think that property at this time now worth probably close to eight or nine hundred thousand, renting for about nine hundred dollars a week now, and that's had very little done other than the standard basic repairs, maintenance, paint, carpet blinds, a couple of times over, hot yeah. water heaters when they come up. You know, ten, twelve years in the hold. And then I think I, I also bought a property, which I think I remember telling you about in, in the Hunter Valley in Musselbrook at the okay. time. Musselbrook. That was a tough one. Yeah. That was a lesson. That was a, a sight unseen, bought at auction, paid you know not much, 250 odd thousand for it, but that took about 80 grand of additional equity, which I extracted from other assets to, the intention with that one was to buy it, renovate it, either get it rented at a much higher price or sell it at a profit. Yeah. Neither of those two things was achieved from that property. I probably end up breaking even on it after six or seven years of holding it. Yield was fine. Once tenants were in there, probably was neutrally geared. But the opportunity cost of $80,000 over a six-year period on that property probably mm-hmm. lost me, if I'm honest, probably lost me five to $800,000 in future earnings because of probably me wanting to make faster money out of that asset and try to roll the dice a bit. And that was a big lesson, very, very big lesson for me moving forward with a lot of other investments. And not only that shapes a lot more of, I guess, more of the strategy and reality of property investing long-term as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, again, you know, one of the outcomes of this podcast is to draw on those lessons, not only your own, but those that you've seen working with hundreds, I would imagine, of clients who've probably come to you with Everyone's got some scar tissue like that type of thing. Absolutely. And, and, and I imagine people are trying to recalibrate or ameliorate a, a portfolio which isn't performing very well. And, you know, yes, you say you broke even on that, but it's the missed opportunity where Correct. I think most property investors, and I've got yeah. know, many stories like that personally. We've where talked I just a lot about that over the years. Yeah, because, sure. you know, there's, there's so many missed opportunity stuff, but you know what, you know, it's okay. But you, yeah. Without that, there's no lesson. So, no. And, and I think that's the big part. And, and that's shaped, you know, we're talking, this is still way back around 2012, 2013, mm. you know, to be honest with you, I probably had a portfolio of a couple of million bucks back then. It was neutrally geared and and I thought I was doing all right, which I was. I was busy, I was active, I wasn't unhappy, but I think I learned a lot from that, which that portfolio from there allowed me to realize that at the time, 
probably the exposure in Sydney for what I could afford to hold on a corporate salary at the time was probably going to extend itself to being redlined if I continue to buy Did those types that. of assets. And that's yeah. when I, at that time, ventured into Southeast Queensland and probably over an 18-month period, I think I might have bought, my wife and I probably at the time, bought maybe four or five separate assets, a little bit in the north of Brisbane, a little bit in the west of Brisbane. Two of those assets I've since sold, which were low-rise villas, they did fine. They didn't do amazingly. Lesson learned out of those two is established freestanding houses will certainly in the same market at the same time. Over the time, there's another big lesson there that I found in irrespective of the market has performed better as a percentage of growth, has performed better as a percentage of yield, as well as outgoings as well. I could have afforded to probably buy, combine two of those villas and bought one house instead. And it was probably more of a, not necessarily a numbers game, but wanting mm. to get a bit of a spread. The house uh, out of those four houses that I bought during that sort of two-year period into the the Southeast Queensland market, I own all of those still today. I've subdivided one, turned that into two, had that retitled two Torrens titled houses on a corner block, another property you've had, another granny flat built, renovated a couple of those houses in the time, not necessarily huge renovations, but just to get them prepped and ready for a 10, 15-year hold. And to be fair, you know what was probably about $1.3, $1.4 million in total spend at that time, and they were still modestly priced properties in middle ring slash growth areas. Those properties have doubled in value and will consistently perform quite well from a yield perspective. So mm. that probably allowed me by the end of 2014, 15, had a really good mix of assets in a range of different markets. And at that time, we're talking 2014, 15, that was when I personally sort of built a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of knowledge over a five, six year period there, which came back to you know my story as to where I started and why really rekindled my passion to say, I love this. This is what I do. This is what I know I'm really good at. I'm knowledgeable in it. I'm very well at, very well versed at how to execute correctly. I've learned some lessons as the things I probably wouldn't do. And that led to helping friends and family before I started Pure Property Investments sort of 2014 odd. And we started our business in 2015. So yeah, basically eight years, close to 10 years now and quit my corporate job at the time, had a, a lot of debt, had a young son and had all the risk that we could take. And, you know, Phil, I know your backstory is not dissimilar, mate. Mm. Like these good things can only happen by taking some risk, but the risk was calculated because I knew in my mind that I knew what I was doing. I knew the propensity as to where this could go. And it was very early stages of the buyer's agency space too, yeah. is that there was only a handful of others who were doing it, but it was exciting, mate. And since then we've helped 2000 investors get to various outcomes and most of them are, are very, very well first in where to do it. And yeah. What and to hopefully do. we get to chat to some of them as, as part of this podcast. And it sounds like you've built, well, you've, you've built a, a professional U-turn into property, but you've built it on the adage of, uh, you might not have liked the lesson, but that was a good lesson. Yeah. And it's only through having those lessons, even though they're painful sometimes and you'd rather not have them, that gives you the capabilities to go out there and change your thought process, your thinking. It gives you, you know, a set of skills to now support other people as the buyer. Are you a buyer's agent? What do you call yourself? Absolutely, I'm a buyer's yeah. agent. Yeah. 100%. That's what mm -hmm. I am. I sit on the board of the Property Professionals of Australia as a buyer's agent, as a licensed registered buyer's agent, and also as the as the owner of a buyer's agency. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my role in that is to essentially guide and strategize our clients into where and what to buy and what to avoid, and ideally do it enough times to allow them to get to the point financially that they're a lot more comfortable than what they would have been the first time they spoke to us. Yeah. So do you remember your first client? Like first paid client? 
I do, actually. Yeah. He's actually been on your podcast. And, okay. And he'll be okay with me name dropping here, but he is actually an ex-Australian cricketer. Um, Stephen O'Keefe was, okay. I, I believe, was actually my first paid client. And I knew there Steve you through uni days, funnily enough. Um, yeah, I went through uni. A sportsman. We were a fellow sportsman. sportsman. Um, you were a better spinner than him by memory, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and he'd be happy for, to vouch for that, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I was a left armer, though, so I think yeah. I'm pretty sure he was. Oh, no, actually, I think. He was uh, a lefty. I think, yeah, Sock is a uh, left arm offie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a left arm offie. So he's not not bowling not bowling the leggies. No, he's bowling the offies. But um, he's uh, he's still kicking around in the Sydney Sixers, I believe. Steve, I think he's got a contract for this year, so I'm sure he's going to get out there and take buy some more property. Buy some more property. He still is actively. I talked. I actually and I spoke to Steve a couple of days ago. And okay. Bought multiple properties, sold properties. It, there's a classic example of of a client. I think we bought three or four properties for Steve in a couple of year period of time. Since then, I know Steve's portfolio has, has gone off to do wild and wonderful things. He's developing property, he's holding assets, and that's probably going to be a career for him after cricket, which he's evolving into now as well. But cool. again, just sharing interest in things which you know not only are there to make money for yourself, but yeah, that, that was certainly one that I remember. So that evolved into essentially other people and um, yeah, spreading the good word of, of what we do, how we do it, how we support. And mm. our business has certainly evolved to be very, very sophisticated in our processes, our systems, how we talk to our clients, how we research our markets, how we inspect our properties, yeah. how we present offers, how we do our due diligence, and probably more importantly than anything, how we do the wash up, how do we reassess where to next, what to do, making sure that we work with our clients. Typically every six to 12 months, we speak with the same client, go through the same strategy. And it probably brings me to something and, and we'll talk more about my portfolio in a second and where it's gone since then, Phil. But um, I know you mentioned the sporting analogies. One of my footy coaches way back when, it still sticks with me to this day, and it's probably some advice that I probably didn't hear to too well or well enough in my sporting career days. And I try to talk to my son and my daughter a lot about it too, but property itself is probably the best example of this. And this is business or sport or whatever. But it's as simple as ordinary things done for extraordinary periods of time create amazing outcomes. Yeah, It's no more complicated than that. And I don't care what you do in life. If you can do the basics really well and don't get bored and saying, when I go to training next or when I buy the next property or when I'm going to launch a business or where I want to get that promotion, what I do, I do what I do really well and I don't get bored doing it because I know that the true outcome is going to come by me being patient and me essentially just saying, stick to that F word, the fundamentals mm. of just doing this the best I possibly can. And most people don't have exceptional skills. Most people don't have some data that you don't have. They just have the patience mm. and the tenacity and the ability to just stick with it. And, and you know that. And that's the yourself. secret, right? And, and most people, you could generalize, just want a shortcut to, yep. to greatness and richness these yep. days, right? Well, what's the hacks? No, I don't want to know about the hard work. I want the Muscle hack. Brook is an example yeah. for me. I want the hack. Just give me the hacks. Give me the shortcuts. And yeah. it doesn't exist in anything. And, uh, you know, I'll probably butcher this, but uh, I think it's called the, the law of 100 or somewhere or other, which is like if you do one thing every day for, uh, I can't remember, the, the, the 12 minutes or something, yep. call it whatever, you'll end up being better than 90% of the people in the world at that particular thing, yep. right? But it's the routine and the repetition, going back to sports people, the routine and the repetition. It's the pre-game stuff that makes you exceptional Correct. on game day. Yep. And it's what you do after the game that gets you back into being exceptional, getting ready for game day the next day. Most people don't want to do the hard work, the no. hard graft. And no. you've you got to do that. You know, I, I call it strategic patience. You just got to sit there and just do, 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 yep. do, 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 do. And a lot of people are going, well, you always got to be connected with the goal and the purpose and all that. That's all fine. Yeah. But that's not enough. Yep. You know, you've got to you've got to just be able to do it and keep doing it, and don't think too much about doing it. Just do it, and then if you do it, 
eventually something will happen as a result. And don't of stop it. doing it. Don't and, stop doing it. And it goes back down to those two regrets that most property investors, and we've spoken to so many of them, we cared not to count anymore, but I should have started sooner and mm. I shouldn't have sold when I did. Yeah. It's not much more complicated than that. And, you know, for me, that's really what it's always going to come back down to. It's, yeah. it's no more complicated than that. And, and unfortunately, to your point, is that we're not going to give away secrets here that people can't necessarily take and do something with. And to your point around calculated risks in property, right? It's not a bad place. It's probably a safer place to take calculated risks because you're going to get a softer landing. If you get it really, really wrong, you're probably going to bug yourself and stuff yourself up sometime. But if you get it wrong, and you're talking about this Musclebrook property, you know, the mm. um, the outcome is, well, <laughs> it means I was... I could have been more effective if I didn't do that. Yeah, you know, you, you've got to get it pretty wrong in property to actually get it really, really wrong. Like, you know, it's yeah. it is forgiving unless you're an idiot. You know, it's extremely forgiving, and it's probably the most forgiving asset class yeah. that you can invest in. Full stop. And it, it actually leads me to, um, and I know we talk a little bit about the analogies, etc. But this is another really good one that I've always adhered to or heard a lot of. And you speak to anyone to summarize how people get wealthy through property. Typically, the same algorithm, the same mantra is that you get wealthy through property slowly, then suddenly. Mm. And the suddenly part happens because you've done it so slowly for so long, then all of a sudden, what was 100% compounding over a 15-year period of time became 100% compounding on that compounding 15 years prior. And all of a sudden, your $100,000 deposit into your first $500,000 property created a $3 million asset base and you've done nothing more than just sit around and manage your cash flow. Mm. And I've got, I mean, that was the other thing that I really probably thought, okay, well, what, what's a comparable? What could you otherwise put money in? Typically, going to people are going to be saying it's property or, or shares, equities. And if you look at the ASX over the last 25 years, 9.8%-ish average annual return. Yeah. Australian property, about 6.8%. Now, if you took $100,000 or let's say $125,000 off factor in stamp duty closing costs and you bought the ASX 200 25 years ago, the numbers that you would have today is about $1.3 million mm. in total assets if you reinvested the profit and it just kept compounding. Yeah. If you took that $125,000 and bought a $500,000 asset or let's say two assets calculating it, equating to $500,000 and you got that 6.8% return, that's same time, same patience, exactly $500,000 in assets. And this comes back down to one of those things we'll discuss, which is the power of leverage, is that that turns into essentially $2.6 million in exactly the same period of time with at 6.8% return. So lesser return, but the leverage and the compounding. So what is a $1.2-ish million gain after you factor in your original investment in the ASX turns into a $2 million gain in property in Australia for the exact same period of time. And what that property can't do is it can't turn to zero. Well, it hasn't yet turned to zero. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, some, some stocks can. Some stocks can. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, anyone who's listening to this and has had a dabble, not only in stocks, but maybe in crypto over the last three, four, five years, in stocks over the last 25 years, I've personally owned stock that has turned to zero. Yeah, I'm yet to own a property or invest in close to 3,500 properties in the last eight years that has turned anything close to those numbers. Yeah, and that's that's some magical <laughs> things. But I think, and I'm sure there's plenty of stock people listening to this going, ah, oh, property stuffed and, you know, stock's the way to go. Yeah. But those numbers you're talking about there, I think 
and I can't remember exactly what it was, but you you would have needed to have been in the market on, I can't remember, three or four distinct yep. moments in time to actually get that. That, that 9.8%. That, 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 like, you know, there's mm. just there's a couple of inflection points. If you went in the market on that day, yep. nothing. Yeah. Um, if you sold it the day before, you got it the day yep. after. The GFC's yep. got that. All, all that stuff, yep. right? Yep. So it's really about timing. You know, it's a lot more forgivable timing in, in property, right? It's, it, they always say it's time in the market rather than timing the market. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're, it's not going to be a property V shares sort of thing. I've, I've no got, chance. I've got shares. My, so do I. My share portfolio. <laughs> I'm happy to show I you keep, my I keep trying. It's a sea of red today. I, I, I know that I, much. I, I, I keep trying. I just, but there's missed opportunity costs. I said, and just go, imagine if I just put that money. Yeah, in. Yeah. Oh, wish I had that cash right now. Absolutely. I'd do something with it. But yep. um, So you started the business and did that stop you from investing for a little while? Because I know banks get a bit sort of mm. jittery if you've got a new, you need a couple of years of financials, right? Did that stifle your property investing during that period? It certainly made me think about it prior to, and I think that's probably some of the best advice I could have got at the time of starting my business is I did a huge equity release, as much money as I could possibly get out of Why my portfolio whilst I was still at POYG. And I got some really good people around me who I was speaking to all the time about this and made sure I got the advice of saying, don't just start a business and think that you can keep being a property investor the next day. Essentially, the bank will turn the tap off unless, and, and also, you know, words to the wise for any business owners, you know, you have to show profit and you have to do it and you have to pay tax yeah. to be able to borrow money. And paying can't, tax. You can't do both. You can't do if, both. If you try to minimize, your, if your accountant gets uh, tries to minimize your tax as much as possible, guess what? You're not going to get any borrowing from the bank. And saving, you know, you know 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, a million dollars in tax for the lost borrowing capacity if you're a property investor, you know, start to equate what that will mean over 10 years. And, and yeah. that's where, again, where I've got some really sage advice from the same accountant I still have today. I've got some sage advice from a broker who's still one of my best friends, is still a broker of, of a lot of my debt today to work through the strategy there. So whilst it probably put me on the sidelines for a year, my business definitely went the right way and still is. We've got a lot of great outcomes, we worked a lot of great clients early in the piece, which meant that our business definitely got to the point where I could use that business and the business income to then keep investing in property. So back 2015, 16, I think we we continued and every year since I probably averaged personally, probably building the portfolio with two, three or four properties a year, mm. but probably the biggest inflection point and change to my personal portfolio, I believe was back in 2000 and I think it was 2017. It might've been 2017, 2018. I'd have to check the dates, but I, I took the punt and, and I, I'd had a, a crack enough at a couple of subdivisions, a couple of granny flats, a few renovations, and um, I saw op- an opportunity which was to really get a bit deeper into the Sydney market from a development standpoint. And I, I partnered up and, and also found someone who was far wiser than me, ironically an architect and a town planner. We set up a separate business, which we developed property directly within. Now, I, as a buyer's agent, I'm very good at sourcing, securing sites, and that's what I do in FISOs and understanding what's worth it and what's not worth it and finding mm. out the finance structure, et cetera. Where my skills were needed is understanding what we could put on there, what was feasible, what the design would look like, who the end market would be, and then my job was there. So we started that, and then we bought a, a relatively high price asset, circa $3 million in Southern Sydney. That was one into four development which was a probably a $3 million purchase, $2.5 million build. And subsequently, that was our kickstart into, into developing assets. So that that was, a, you know, call it five and a half, six million million into buying, developing assets, which ended up being a gross realized value of probably circa $10, $11 million over that time. So there was a very good profit in it. There's a lot of lessons learned. It was still, that was over 18, 24-month period of time. But 
to figure out how to finance that was a challenge, mm. to figure out the structures, to figure out how to build it, picking your builders, making sure your product was correct. And what we started then was an owner-occupier side of things, and we developed property now in a separate, um, which is not, not for people to invest in directly. This is what I do personally, which is geared towards buying high-end developments, typically more than just a one into two lot subdivision. It's typically more like one into three, one to four. And I've got a, a larger subdivision, which is about a 20, 22 lot development underway up the coast at the moment. But that's led to, you know, what was that first investment? Now we're probably pushing towards 70, 80, 90 million dollars in developments over a five, six year period of time. Mm-hmm. And that's active. That's purely active. But the irony too is, Phil, and, and speaking about the ASX side of things and the shares is that I've also observed, I set up my own self-managed super fund probably five, six years ago, had that set with a financial advisor and it was basically just indexed into a fund which got me whatever the market was going to get me. After a couple of years of that, I looked at it and I thought, I'm just not that enthused as the outcomes I was getting there. So I've also personally bought, even in the last couple of weeks, I've bought two properties, which one was a $380,000 property in Perth, another one was a $410,000 property in Perth in my super fund. I have no intention of doing anything to those properties. They're buy and hold, freestanding houses, mm. five, six, seven percent yield, decent blocks of land, good proximity to amenities. They're a twenty-year play, and I'm going to keep buying those properties as you well. Are. I was going to say, does it move the needle? Like, does it matter? Well, this is the thing, though, right? Like that money has to go somewhere. Yeah. Legally, we have to pay ourselves super. Well, it, you know, I can choose how much I want to put in there, but I do know that. From a taxation you do position, maximum super. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I believe in the super scheme, and I want to make sure that you know, probably my intention with those properties may well be that at some stage I might go to my kids, or it might be something that's going to propel you know, a bit more of a legacy side of things. Well, that's good thing well. the super fund, right? Correct, so and, and it forces you to be that yeah. way, and exactly, and you can pass that on without worrying about the taxation side. But if I look at it, and I guess the reason why I highlight that is that although my investing has progressed to buy and hold do some renovations and build this portfolio to being self-sufficient and then developing assets actively, I still believe in the lower price market and fundamentals of don't get too complicated, don't change what has worked in the past. And the super fun side of things is my opportunity to keep doing that as Mm. well. I don't probably now intend to buy those types of properties in my own name because I'm looking at more active stuff because that's where my knowledge and interest can go. But I wouldn't have even had a chance to get to this active stuff without the stuff I did Five, six, seven, eight and, years and ago. And that's the point again, you know, people want to start investing in property, they go, oh, I want to do what Paul's doing. Well, you know, you're on chapter six or seven. Yeah. Right. You're not on chapter one. No. You know, but you went through chapter one, chapter two, chapter yeah. three, chapter four to get to the point. And I still hold hold all those chapters you as still, well. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah, know, so- They haven't so, been sold. It's, <laughs> people, people are in too much of a rush. You know, you can't go straight into someone else's chapter seven. No, yeah, and and that's the I guess the, the the crux of it all is that you know ten fifteen years of active investing, whilst mm. that's still a relatively short period of time in property, um, I've done it correctly a fair bit of the time, and I've been very lucky that a lot of the advice, a lot of property I've bought has done really well. But mm. I, I'd say most of what I've done is very boring. Yeah, the vast majority. Boring and, is good, and and, uh, and that's why I'm very comfortable in being boring, very very comfortable. And when people talk to me about where you're buying, why you're buying there, I'm like. Most of the time, and, and we'll unpack this with a lot of the clients that we're going to speak to as part of this podcast series, and people realize that we've bought in Hobart, Sydney, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Melbourne, Geelong, Frankston, Adelaide, Salisbury, Perth, you name it, Canberra. And I'll, I'll keep rattling off each one of these major, either major metro or major regional markets. We've bought in them sometimes dozens of times, sometimes in different cycles. But the intention here is to say that we're not buying in one market. There is no secret source. We're buying, we're holding, we're managing cash flow, and we're replicating. Yeah. Yeah. So you like working with people who are happy with 
the process, the boring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very happy working with people who really realize that probably vast majority of people's time is better spent doing whatever else they do, yeah. whether it's running a business, whether it's PAYG, whether it's starting a career, whether it's going into retirement and essentially wanting to enjoy their retirement, whether it's essentially having all of these things, but also prioritizing, hey, I want to spend my time with my family as opposed to trudging the pavement on the weekends or getting on a plane and trying mm. to figure out a suburb. Our job is really to say, if you can be comfortable knowing enough to know why you're doing it, but essentially outsourcing the rest from that point to say, I understand why and understand what. Your job is to do the doing. Our job is to really ideally, they're our perfect client because they know, they trust the process. They're not trying to make money next year. They're trying to make money over a 10, 15, 20 year period, but we want to get it all set up correct. The pre-game, as you said, the game is our job. The post-game is where we work back together and then figure out again what the pre-game is for the next purchase, execute on the game, go back to post-game. What do we do differently? Where are we? Are we at the grand final? Is that it? Do we retire? All those things. So that'll give us a construct to this podcast. It's also a good construct for how you work with clients. What? Well, just I'll, I'll conclude with this question because I'm conscious of time. Um, what are the best pre-game property investors doing? I think if I'm realistic on that, mm. they they typically they've done a bit of reading, but they haven't sat around for two or three, four, five years and thought I knew what I wanted to do that, and I just haven't done anything because I just got I just got paralysis yeah. out of the whole scenario. They're typically not those people. I mean, eventually, I love working with those common people because they typically sit on their heels and wait or sit on their hands rather than wait, and they think, oh, I should have done it. All right, I've just got to outsource it because I know I'm just going to get the ips every time. But the people I know and, and the people I've worked with over a decade period of time who I know have achieved amazing things with nothing amazing as far as their starting point is they typically are comfortable to be open to asking the question, what do I need to do? And then taking advice. Now, the what do I need to do usually comes, hypothetically, you have your own home, you have a bit of equity, you know there's enough in there to get moving, and you might have done your own online calculators, I could probably borrow X comfortably. Mm. If they came to us with that type of position, we are able to do so much with that. And not only short-term to just buy an asset, it's also plan out what does the short-term look like? What does the mid-term look like? You know, the one to three, one to five years, what does that end up being resulting in over the long-term? And then from there, we're not straight into buying a property necessarily. We'll set the strategy, set the criteria. But what we want to do is build that team of who's the dream team, who are the, the key fundamental players that you build the rest of the team around. And going back to sporting analogies, you know, if you're talking about footy, you're typically talking a halfback, a 5'8", a, yeah. a fullback. If you're talking you know, AFL, you're talking your midfielders, you're talking about a couple of different leaders in between that. You're talking netball, you're typically talking your centres. If you're talking cricket, yeah, you're talking your, your all rounders. What's, what's that person in volleyball that does all the setting? The uh, libero. Is it libero? There you go. It's libero, right? <laughs> Normally the shortest player. Just shortest him. player, yeah. wears a different shirt, yeah. typically never spiking, yeah. but very, very jammy and quite clean. Clever. Yeah. And and every sport and every business and everyone who someone works from a for a company, there is a libero, but there's also <laughs> and again, that's the thing, is that we want to build this small nucleus mm. and then we once we've got those, and sometimes that only takes one conversation to build that team. It doesn't mean that we have to go off and then wait two or three, four, five months to build this up. Most of the time we can advise as to who these people need to be. And I'm not doing it from a standpoint of saying they need to be our team. Yeah. We've got people we can send off recommendations or we can say, look, here's who you need. You might already have some. We don't want to change that. So we're not here to change what is already working. 
Once we've got that, we go and buy. Once you buy, then you typically need to add on those other players. And those other players is part of what we do is conveyances, building and pest inspectors, your property managers, your insurance depreciation schedules. Mm-hmm. We try to make sure we arrange that secondary team to be available at the time that they need to be available. And that's a big part of our job as well. And to get back to sport analogies, property investments, team sport, right? 100%. Yeah. The best people and Phil, I'm sure you could attest to this, my dear. If I ask you a particular question about certain assets of yours, you'd say, look, speak to that person. Yeah. They handle this. Yeah. That's not for me to know. I know what I'm, why I'm doing it and probably what I own. Beyond that, yeah, you know, I'm probably not going to be the person who's closest to the detail. Yeah. Yep. Good. Well, this is uh, episode one of the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. Yeah, it's good to catch up. Yeah, mate. I think we're on to something here. It's good. Pre-game, game, post-game. So you're going to bring someone in next time. I am. Have a bit of a, a chat around how they play the game and then we can sort of pull it apart. Yeah, absolutely. And I think mm. the first guest I'm going to get on is probably ideally going to be someone who's been in the game for quite some time yeah. and not on a you know, outrageous salary or started a, a hugely successful business. Normal salary, normal incomes, had an aspiration to get to a position where they wanted to exit the workforce and had a starting point with some equity available built a very successful portfolio over a six, seven, eight year period and has essentially got to the point where they wanted to get to. So we can walk through what's and all what they've done. There's a couple of things they probably would have done different, yeah. a couple of things that they would do more of if they had a chance again. But um, the 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 secret to that is that they've probably held almost all of those assets, some for five years, some for 15 years. It's a way to go. Mm-hmm. It's good. Nice one. Um, in the interim, people want to speak to you and your team. Are you free and available to chat? Purepropertyinvestment.com. Um, on all the socials, pure underscore property on Instagram, on Facebook, LinkedIn. They can't miss us. If you look for us and you want to speak to us, if you jump onto purepropertyinvestment.com, there's a there's an inquire now button front and center and you can lock in some time in my calendar typically. So they get the, to speak to you if they like. Straight, they like speak yeah. directly with me and you can yeah. see my calendar. You will be able to access it within two clicks. Click one open the web page, click two, open inquire now. And then by the time you've done that, you'll probably be able to lock in a time to speak with me within sometimes a couple of days, sometimes maximum a week. Mm. And how prepared do you need to be to be able to talk to you effectively? Like I said too, mate, I think as long as someone has some sort of understanding as to where they are, and, and when I say an understanding, I don't need to understand their bank statements or go through three months of their profit mm. and loss or their t- entire expenditure. If they know where they are, typically if they've got your circa Forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars starting point, whether it's cash, equity, a guarantor, opportunity from folks or someone else. That's all we need to understand. I can typically model a lot about where their current borrowing capacity is. So they don't need to speak to a broker before they speak to us. They don't need to speak to a solicitor. They don't need to set up some fancy trust structure. They just need to understand that they are prepared to probably get moving and start to do something. Our job is to really model out where they could be if they started now and where they might have missed out if they don't start. Okay. The Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop, episode one. Uh, I've enjoyed that. Uh, We'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.